greet you in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And it is such an honor and a privilege for us to be with you this morning. And um, we have a double D here this morning. It's Ron and Rena, so it's a double R, and people called us Rolls Royce couple. But this morning we've got a Pastor Don and we've got a Pastor Doug. And uh, we'd like to thank you so much for the opportunity of, of being here this morning together with your leadership. And um, thank you. We, our mission here today is that you will allow us to get into your heart, that you will fall in love with us, and that you will take us back home with you. Uh, it is such a privilege for me to be a missionary. And one day, you know, talk is cheap. I do believe God told me that he wanted me to embark on a soul-winning project. We had trained many pastors, we ran many Bible colleges, we planted many churches. And in fact, Pastor Virgil, the college that he came and turned the light on, that whole project, we graduated between four and 500 refugees from that place. So, uh, and then today we have a house dedicated uh, on that campus. It's called the Virgil Amundsen House. So we talk about him virtually every single day. Where is that person? In the Virgil Amundsen House, you will find him. And so, um, it, thank you for your support and for your love and for your care and for taking time to take us to places that we've never been before and we would not have found it on our own. And uh, today, only the Lord and the Amundsen couple know where my wife and I am. Um, because uh, we wouldn't have found it on our own. But thank you for being here and for being a witness uh, for the Lord. And uh, the crisis, I uh, said to the Lord that he wanted me to win souls. I, I was very much involved in building God's kingdom and training leaders and planting churches. The Lord said he wanted me to win souls. So we said, we'll do a three-year project. And so we trusted God for 20,000 first-time decisions for Christ, not quite knowing how it was going to happen. And so talk is cheap. You can say you're going to do it, but come up with the goods. And I had sleepless nights because I really did not know how to do it. Until someone, a Burundian, um, a pastor from Burundi, told me to empower local churches to grow themselves. And so we've trained many pastors. <coughs> Shall Lake also invested in that project. And in the three years that we allowed for the Lord to help us bring in a harvest of 20,000 first-time decisions, we overshot the mark and we registered 26,000 first-time decisions for Christ. <laughs> That was a major breakthrough, because when I spoke it, I did not know how it was going to happen. And um, today we have 
grown that figure to over 200,000. It did not stop in three years. And we are now trusting God to grow it to a half a million. And it is really easier for me today to trust God for a half a million than what it was initially to trust him for 20,000. We've had over 4,000. That's close to 4,500 pastors trained, empowering them to grow their churches. And um, we have moved into a Muslim area. We dream from Cape Town to Cairo, and we only have three countries to go. And that is we are in Ethiopia, then Sudan, and then Egypt. Then we can say our mission is accomplished and our dream has been fulfilled. And then at the same time, we realize that Africa is today the largest Christian continent in the world. We have grown past South America that has been for many decades. And that means that there is a responsibility on us and that we have to not only see that the, we outnumber in growth the, the Muslims that are coming on and growing, but that we have to take the gospel to other countries such as in Europe and perhaps also the Americas. And so uh, we have to train missionaries. And the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada had a project where they were exposing the church to missions. They've, they've done so with over a thousand church leaders from all over Africa and we have taken over that ministry. They want to focus more on Muslim evangelism in Afri North Africa, and we said that we will continue on that tradition, and we will expose churches to missions, and we trust that we will mobilize a missions force to take Africa and the world for Jesus Christ. So, Kanako means the time for Africa has come. I would like you to look at a video and look for one particular thing where I have a Coke bottle in my hand and I was busy letting a boy drink some of my Coke. And I, I never finish a Coke because there are too many little eyes looking at me. And then I will take a sip and I will let these little children take a sip each. But when I got to this little boy, he decided he wasn't going to take a sip. He was going to finish the bottle. And he gripped it so much that if, if I wanted to pull the bottle up, I would have picked him up as well. He wasn't going to let go. And uh, that's the kind of tenacity and prayer that I'm going to ask you. So, so watch for that clip. It, it's about a split second, and then uh, the rest is on the project. But uh, are there prayer warriors here this morning? people that value prayer, um, we have a special request for you. And that is to pray for three things. Oh no, there, there's one and a half celebration and then one and a half prayer request. The, the, the celebration, I had three requests when I came to the States. The one was that my wife's passport and visa expired. And uh, so we, she couldn't fly with me. And then in a record time, in less than two weeks, the Lord gave her a passport and a visa to the United States that normally takes about two to three months. So, praise God. So, the folk that I rallied to prayer, that's a prayer celebration. And then the second request that I had 
our, th our thought was answered. And that was that in South Africa, we drive on the right side of the road, and that is the left side. And uh, when Americans come and visit us, and Pastor Virgil, he had to be content with being on the right side of the road, which was the left side of the road. And um, then when uh, we drive in the United States, we are driving on the other side of the road. And I've got to remember that. Yeah. And then I celebrated that. I thought that people's prayers were answered because I was really driving on the right side of the road, which is the right side of the road. And uh, yesterday we went to a place called Nick's in Spooner, and we had a lovely time of fellowship and sandwiches to eat with the Amazons. And then they left, and as we got into our car, deer walked past us in that town. I mean, what a delight to watch the mama and the two little ones follow her through the town of Spooner. And we got so absorbed with that. And then I pulled away, and there's only one traffic light in Spooner. I mean, only one. And I couldn't understand why this car was coming towards me. And then I realized, well, I was on the wrong side. So, so I need prayer. And I really rely on the prayer warriors, Lord, keep him on the right side of the road in America. The third request is what you're going to see in the form of the video. The night when we decided to invest in this project, and Pastor Amundsen is a part of our committee, and we had a Zoom meeting. I presented the challenge. I said that this is what we could do. This is something, an opportunity that has come knocking. The Pentecostal Assemblies want to move forward. I said to them, first, I will continue your ministry and I will run it for you. And they said, rather, let's hand it over to you. And all you have to do is pay back us, uh, to us the initial investment made many years ago in four properties. And um, uh, all they want is the initial investment, not what it is worth today. And so um, uh, it is maybe five, worth five times, six times more than what they wanted for the properties, which, and you'll see it on, on the screen. And um, that night, Pastor Virgil was the first one to make an investment in this project. And, and I thank him. He got the ball rolling. He was also instrumental in us raising the initial deposit so that we could satisfy the Canadian brothers that we are serious in this thing and we have to f settle our bill by the end of this year. And the amazing thing is I have not asked anybody for one cent. It was amazing that when people heard about this, they came forward and they blessed. And so enjoy this video and let it drop into your heart. I'm asking for those prayer warriors, take this thing back with you, pray it through with us, and then we can celebrate together. Amen. Thank you, Matt.
Church was created to fulfill that vision. Psalm 86 verse 9 All nations shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. The purpose of the local church is to be an expression of the church globally, to declare His glory among the nations. The Great Commission is to be His witness at home and abroad. Did you know that Africa is fast becoming the largest Christian continent? The baton has been passed on to Africa. Ginago. The time for Africa has come. Ron Kinnear, founding member of Africa Missions, sees this being fulfilled through the MET program. Headed up by Tabo van Veek, Missions Exposure and Training is dedicated to activating and exposing church leaders to missions as well as equipping and orientating those who are called to the mission field. MET has already trained over 1,000 leaders across Africa. We have been presented with the phenomenal opportunity to take over training facilities from the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, situated in Pretoria, South Africa. The facilities are ideal for African missions and MET to mobilize the church to fulfill its call. It includes four properties, two of which can be income-generating homes, a 22-seater Mercedes bus, accommodation for 40 students, lecture halls, dining facilities, and all furniture and office equipment and staff housing. The takeover price is 97,500 US dollars. Praise God, 50% has already been received. The balance, however, must be paid by December 2022. We ask you to consider giving into this project. Help us realize this dream. Come and visit us in South Africa and send your teams to us and become orientated for missions in Africa. MET and Africa Missions are on the cutting edge of missions. We're activating the church to fulfill its mandate to go into all the world and make disciples for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You can be a part of that. Countless lives will be impacted by your giving. Join hands with us to see this a reality. Psalm 96, verse 3. Thank you. I uh, really appreciate the prayers. Um, nothing motivates more than success. And uh, if your team isn't winning, then you don't feel so good, but you are still in support of the team. But if your team wins, I mean, then everybody gets excited. And we were, talk, we were told about the Peterson brothers this morning. Have you ever heard of the two wrestlers, the Peterson brothers, or what? what? Yeah. Yes. Um, and so we, we drove past us through this town and there was this big thing celebrating the gold medals and so on. And I can just imagine when that happened in 1972 and 74, everybody celebrated. I mean, there's nothing that, that really stirs us and motivates us more 
than success. Amen. Um, I uh, really, uh, and it doesn't often happen that I am at crossroads because I've come prepared to deliver three messages this morning. And uh, when I was, uh, and I, I had to question the Lord sitting down there today, Father, what is the word? And then the Lord said to me, what was the seed that I dropped into your heart the first? And so I trust that I am obedient this morning. I would like to read to you um, from Luke chapter 8 and verse 40. Luke chapter 8 and verse 40. And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. So in that town, everybody knew that Jesus was going to pass by. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was the ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had only one daughter about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. And a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him, touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood staunched. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee and press thee and sayest thou, Who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody has touched me. Amen. I trust that God is going to bless this message in particular. Um, I uh, discovered that in summertime in Wisconsin, you have two seasons. You have an outside season and an inside season. And outside, the sun beats on you, and the, oh, I enjoyed the hot weather so much, I felt quite at home. And then I walk into a frozen chest when I came into the buildings. And uh, I had to carry my jackets with me, and I put on my coat, and the people always marveled at me. I even have my coat with me this morning just in case. And I found that inside it's cold, outside it's nice and warm. Two seasons. And then I, I heard about winter, and I, I cannot understand or even imagine what winter must be like and how you drive on snow and, and how you can survive 20 degrees below, etc., etc. You know, even in our country, we have four seasons, just like yourself. We have... Um, fall, and I think that you are preparing to go into your fall season, and um, it's when everything changes. It's um, uh, when, when the summer is gone, 
and uh, you still enjoy part of summer, but you also experience that something is happening in the atmosphere and winter is encroaching. And then the trees fall from the trees and your country or your state must be the most beautiful state in all of America and perhaps the world with the changing of the colors. It is absolutely wonderful to be here in fall time, and that's been our privilege because Shell Lake has the missions conference at that time. And then winter creeps in. And uh, the thing about winter is everything dies and stands still during the season of winter. And it's, it's an uncomfortable time, it's an unpleasant time even for us, and I, th I think that South Africans, even though we don't see snow, uh, we do get colder than what you do during winter because we do not have central heating in our houses. <laughs> and uh, we do go th down to freezing point at night in the middle of winter. When we left, we were in the heart of our winter time in South Africa. And uh, the same thing, everything comes to a standstill, the grass dies, the Trees are stripped bare from their leaves, and everything speaks of death. Life has come to a standstill. And then, when spring comes, you can see signs of life. It's almost like um, a symbolic of the resurrection, because that which was dead is now coming to life again. And you see blossoms and you see the green little leaves come out of the trees and it all prophesies that summer is coming, better weather is coming. And so that's a good time to be. I mean, that, that, that is, you, you are celebrating what you know you are going to experience. And when summer comes, I think that this must be the, the state for vacation because we've noticed how many cars with their boats have come from uh, Minneapolis into Wisconsin to enjoy what, what you have here. And so year-round, four seasons. And the one season that I think we all enjoy the most is summer. And the weather is wonderful, and, and, and I've just been enjoying the hot weather outside. But the truth is the season that we need the most in our lives is winter. You see that we somehow can deceive ourselves that we are special, that we can do things and we can move mountains on our own. But when fall comes and we can see things starting to go wrong in our lives, we start asking questions about how frail we are and how strong we really are. And then when winter sets in and things come to a standstill and death reigns, you try and do something but somehow nothing works. You realize how insignificant you are. You realize how much reliant you are upon the Lord. And then during that time you just wonder will it ever end. But then finally the snow starts melting and spring comes, and you say, Lord, I realize now I couldn't do it on my own. 
I needed you to break through in my life. And so as we face winter in our lives, that's the best time to be in because it shows us how weak we are, but how strong our God is. And then if we go out of that winter season into spring and summer, we rejoice in his goodness. So thank God for the winter. But there is something about winter, and that is it must come and it must go. It's terrible if winter comes to stay. Can you imagine year in and year out, winter hasn't budged? And there was a woman that had that problem. But before we encounter her, there is a story within a story. There's a man named Jairus, and he really had a winter time in his life. And he heard about Jesus, that Jesus was going to pass through his town. And he was a man of stature. They respected him. Uh, he had authority. And um, he, he ran the show in the synagogue. And um, uh, people knew him. He was a very distinguished person in the town. But now he lost all composure. He became a beggar. When Jesus passed by, he ran to Jesus and he became like jelly, like water. He just fell at the feet of Jesus and said, Lord, I've got a problem. My daughter lay dying. I'm going to lose my child. And then, please, can't you help me? And Jesus looked at this miserable piece of flesh, this person that was just begging, no hope, and unless you put something into my hand, I'm going to be nothing. Lord, please help. And the Lord said to him, Jairus, get up. I'll go with you to your home. And there Jairus was walking with Jesus. He forgot his synagogue and the responsibilities there. He forgot about his parishioners, the people that, that he had to lead and so on. And he was walking with Jesus in the hope that his child was going to be saved. On the way was a person that has no name in the Bible. In fact, maybe she does. And she had a problem for 12 years. For 12 long years, winter had set in. There was no victory, no life. In her condition, she could not conceive and give birth to any life. And she was most miserable. She had spent all she had to consult medical doctors without any help. And in her condition, according to the laws of Moses, she was ostracized. She was put aside because of her condition. Anybody that had any contact with her became unholy, unclean, and could not go to the synagogue to express any form of worship to God. And so her family would be made unclean, so they avoided her. 
She couldn't go to the synagogue to pray because she would make her environment unclean. If she sat on a chair, that chair would have been unclean for 14 to 21 days. And people that had any form of contact with her had to go through rituals to uh, purification rituals before they could be reinstated in their religious activities. It affected her spiritual life, her social life, and her finances. <coughs> Excuse me. And all, not any of her doing. It was something that came upon her, and she was gripped in cold winter time. And then she heard that Jesus was passing by. And the amazing thing is about this woman is she was on the go. But you know, God does not sit with the sitters. He does not sleep with the sleepers, but he moves with the movers and he dreams with the dreamers. And this woman was on the go. She tried to make things happen. You know, there are three kinds of people on earth. The one kind that makes things happen. The other kind that watch things happen. And then the third kind wonder, hey, what happened? <laughs> she was in the first bracket. She tried to make things happen, so her spiritual muscle was exercised. When she heard about this doctor, she consulted him. When she heard about that one, she hurried to him. She was on the move looking for a solution, looking for a victory, looking for a breakthrough. And now Jesus was passing by. And she had to now work out a plan of action. Because she couldn't come up to Jesus and say, Lord, uh, I need healing. She, she was insignificant. Her name wasn't mentioned in the scriptures. Jairus was mentioned. He was a man of influence. But her, if, if, if she came up simply because she was a woman, she would have been ignored. Also, she had this problem. And Jairus, she must have been one of the members in his community. And he would have known that she was unclean and he would have reprimanded her. And if Jesus dared to touch her, then he would have been declared unclean. And so she had to devise a plan of action, and she decided to sneak up behind Jesus. And I, th I think she planned a stage, a trip, that, that, that she would fall over something, and as she fell forward, she would just touch the hem of his garment. And quietly, as the crowd moves away, she would pick herself up and fade again into insignificance. But that did not happen. Because when she came and she touched the hem of his garment, she experienced power of healing that went through her body. And immediately that fountain dried up and she knew, I'm healed. I'm healed. And she was going to quick, quietly sneak away when Jesus stopped. And Jesus asked the question, the devastating question for her, who touched me? And Peter and the other disciples laughed at the Lord and said, Lord, surely. How can you ask such a question? I mean, look at the crowd all pressing. And, if, you know, if, if I was there, 
and Jesus was passing by, you could bet your bottom dollar that I would also want to touch him. I mean, everybody would have wanted to move past and, and brush against Jesus. I mean, this is something special. Jesus has come to town. And now you ask, who touched you? And Jesus said, somebody touched me. I want you to notice something here. A nobody became a somebody. And this Mrs. Nobody that has become a somebody realized that she had been selfish, that she had robbed a father of seeing her daughter being raised again or made alive again so that she wouldn't die. And now she has made the man of God unclean because Jesus said, I felt power, leave me. Power go out of me. Oh, Lord, now I've taken his power and I've made him unclean. And so she came before him trembling and she wanted to beat her chest and she would say, Lord, it was me, I was selfish. Forgive me, forgive me for what I've done. And instead of that, Jesus said to her, Woman, your faith has made you whole. Oh, that was wonderful. And I mean, there this woman, noticed by Jesus, Jesus stopped to speak to her. Your faith has made you whole. But then I want you to notice something. At that very, very time that Jesus spoke to that woman, a message came to Jairus that his daughter had passed away. It wasn't two minutes later. It wasn't five minutes before the time. At the same time, when Jesus was speaking to that woman, Jairus received bad news. Now, look at the timing. Jairus is standing there, and he sees a miracle, and at the same time he hears bad news. And if that is a coincidence, then I think we need to think again. Because how old was the daughter of Jairus? And for how long did this woman suffer the flowing of blood? You see, something happened in the spiritual realm. When that girl was born, God started planning a miracle for her. And in order for that miracle to happen, he had to prepare somebody that was going to feed the faith of Jairus. So she went into a period of illness, and she wondered, how will I ever get out of my winter period? But all along, God was planning something to feed the faith of Jairus so that he can believe in his miracle. Because when Jairus came to Jesus and fell in front of him and begged him, please, Lord, my daughter is dying. Can you come and help? Jesus did not detect any faith. This man just did not have any faith. He did not have any hope. He was a beggar. Please help. Please help. And something had to happen in his life before they arrived at his home for his daughter to be raised from the dead. 
And so he expected the touch because he knew 12 years ago we started preparing for this ministry. And so as he walked along, he was expecting that touch any minute and then it happened. And he knew this is going to lead to the victory of Jairus. And so when Jesus turned to Jairus and said to him, when he received that bad news, now only believe. What do you think that this Mrs. Nobody did? She must have said to Jairus as well, listen, the same thing that happened to me can happen to your daughter. Only believe, believe, believe. And faith built up in his heart. So by the time that he got home, his daughter could be raised from the dead. You see, this is a story within a story. It's not an isolated case of uh, Mrs. Nobody becoming somebody, but it was also a gyrus that had a problem, but the two were united. And our lives are really a story within a story. How long have you been wrestling with a problem that you have? How long have you been in your winter period in that respect? It somehow seems as if there is no hope. You have dreamed or dreamt to go to university, but there's no finances, there's no breakthrough. How will it happen? You have a dream of becoming a somebody in life, but all the signs indicate that you will just be local and, and you will not go any, anywhere in your life because you are locked into a situation. What about healing in your body, the thing that you are contending with and you've been trusting God for so long and somehow you cannot break through? Tell you something, that you are either a Jairus or you are a Mrs. Somebody. And Jesus wants to answer prayer. There was this time when this man, this father, brought his son that, that uh, had a demon, and the demon manifested, and um, uh, then uh, Jesus spoke to him, said, do you believe? And the, the man said, yes, I believe, but help my unbelief. And now Jesus goes, well, if you believe, I could have helped you. Say, excuse me, I'm going on. But Jesus wanted to answer prayer. Jesus wants to help us. Jesus is not a stranger. He's not far removed from us. He's closer to us than our brother. And when that father cried out and he said, Lord, I believe, but oh, help my unbelief. God, the, the Bible says, immediately the Lord healed the son and delivered him from that demon. See, this is the Jesus that we serve. And this is the way that we can feed each other's faith so that we can enjoy breakthrough. And so that's why we find ourselves sometimes in a winter period. Because when I break through, I can feed the faith of somebody else. In Mozambique, in the crusade, the evangelist was preaching and there were ushers, and uh, they had to control the crowds and make sure the people sat and the children behaved themselves and the others that came late would find seats. And a man came in with crutches, 
and uh, he sat in front, uh, or he, he came in in front and he wanted to sit down, and so he, he took his crutches, they helped him remove the crutches, and they helped him settle down. And as he sat down and the service continued and the evangelist was preaching, he got up. And they did not quite know why he wanted to get up. Perhaps he wanted to go to the restroom. So they helped him up and they gave him his crutches and he stood there. And then he threw the crutches away and then he fell forward and he hurt himself. Now imagine sitting there where this is all happening and some would say, shame, Other, oh, ooh. and some would get up and try and help him up again. And he would say to me, let me stand. Said, You're disturbing, interrupting the service. And the preacher could hear there's something going on now, but the ushers will attend to it. So he again said, let me stand. They said, oh, wait now. No, I want to stand. So... Uh, they said, no, quiet. I want to stand. And so to get him to keep quiet, they let him stand, and they, they brought his crutches. And by that time, there was a bit of a uneasiness in the church, and he took those crutches again, and he threw them away, and he fell forward again and hurt himself. By that time, it drew the attention of the evangelist, and he said, now, where are the ushers? Can you not go and neutralize that situation that's going on there? It's, it's interrupting me. And so now the attention of the people, what's going on on that side? And the evangelist is trying to keep the attention or get the attention back of the people present. And this man insisted, I want to stand. And they helped him up. He took the scratches and he threw them away. And the next minute he was able to take his first step. And the power of God came on that man and he could take a second step. And he received his healing and he started walking. And he started walking and what happened next? Nobody knew that there was an evangelist preaching any longer. <laughs> they all got up as one man. And they said, God, if you can do it for him, you can do it for me. That is what we are waiting for. You see, the church, and I'm so sorry, I, I, I realize listening to the way that you serve communion this morning was awesome. And, and your, your theological perception and understanding was perfect. And, and uh, if that's what you feed this congregation, they are well fed. It's beautiful to see our salvation in Christ. It is beautiful to see the work of redemption that the Lord has done, and we need that teaching in the body. But Pastor Don, without giving offense, it's not preaching that grows the church. It's Mr. and Mrs. Nobodies that cause the church to grow. See, if a blind person receives healing in this church today, next Sunday this church will be full. That's how God grows the church. That's how God gets the attention of people. That's how God feeds our faith. If God can do it for you, he can certainly also do it for me. Nothing motivates 
more than success. That if there is breakthrough, there is victories, people would like to come and feed off that and celebrate those victories. Hallelujah. And so may God turn Mr. and Mrs. Nobodies into somebodies. May God lift up a gyrus here this morning, one who's lost all hope, one that says nothing will ever happen, and, and, and I've got a grip on life, but it's fading. It, it, it's taken, taken out of my grip. I can't hold on to it any longer. Then there's a, a Mrs. or a Mr. Nobody that can say to you, keep on believing God. The same God that helped me is the same God that can help you. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord, Heavenly Father. We want to thank you for winter time. We want to thank you, Lord, that it teaches us our dependency upon you. But Lord, we thank you also for spring. We thank you for summertime because when that breakthrough comes and winter passes by, our faith has been strengthened and we give you the glory for the breakthrough, for the goodness in our lives. And Father, this morning there is somebody that is in a winter period wondering when will this trouble ever end. I ask, Lord, that when the season is right, that a gyrus will pass by and witness the miracle of that one that is in winter now. Father, that it would feed the faith not only of gyrus but the entire community. And so, Lord, if there is somebody this morning in a winter time, in Jesus' name, I call that person out of winter. We touch the hem of the garment of Jesus and we hear his voice speaking. Somebody touched me today. And I thank you for that in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.